Thank you, Pastor, very much. <clears throat> Just mindful, you know, of all the folks who work behind the scenes to make things possible around here. And among those over the last year has uh, been our church administrative assistant, Sherry Snook. Sherry's going to be leaving us effective January the 1st. She has been such a vital part of our church family and our church staff, but she has uh, something else that she feels like she needs to do, and so uh, she's going with our blessings. I told her one of these days we'll even love and forgive her for leaving us. <clears throat> but no, we wish Sherry the best, and we do love her, and there's nothing to forgive. And just want to let you know that as, uh, as I began. I should have done it during announcements, but I uh, want you to be aware so you can be praying for her and perhaps express love and gratitude to her as you have opportunity do want to ask you, though, to give your attention to God's Word. That's why we're here for this moment, at least, as we've already been worshiping and engaged and praising the Lord through song and through prayer and through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And what a wonderful opportunity now to open God's Word together and consider as we continue along in the Gospel according to Luke, reminding ourselves that the doctor, as I look at doctors in our congregation, the doctor that has good news for us, this beloved physician, Coming now to the end of chapter 1, where we'll pick up reading with verse 57. Dawn's early light. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came over all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, 
And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Blessed be the name of the Lord as we give praise for his word and thanks. Yes, preacher, it's cold. But it's not near as cold as it was that Christmas day in the Ardennes back in 44. That's what the old veteran told me when I was in his hospital room with him on that December morning years ago. My Uncle Bob Winchester remembered it this way. He said we were in California being prepared to be deployed in the Pacific when the Germans broke through our lines in Europe. He said the U.S. government turned every train around. Every westbound train was turned around so that you could only go east. And they put every soldier they could find on those trains. And he said, in three weeks' time, I went from being in sunny California to the icy cold at the Battle of the Bulge. It was a hard and difficult Christmas. I remember two old veterans. They were brothers, Mr. William and Mr. Robert as we met together at a Zaxby's in Manning, South Carolina, both of them in their 90s, talking about that horrid experience of those German 88s whistling overhead, snapping trees as they exploded in that terrible cold, just wondering if they would ever see another dawn. And I remember Robert looking at his brother William and saying, you know, I remember seeing you at that fork in the road just, not too far from Bastogne, and he said, I always wondered why I didn't see you with your unit after that. Mr. Williams said, that's when I got wounded, Robert. And they took me away to the hospital. He said it wasn't much warmer in there than it had been in the foxhole. It was cold. I've often thought about what so many have sacrificed for our sakes down through the years as we sit now in the relative peace and warmth of a place like this and we're able to worship the Lord God Almighty. And I've thought about those who experienced darkness in the middle of the battle, wondering if they would see the dawn of the next day. And those who survived invariably did. The light began to shine as the daylight began to be brighter. And we think of that time in the history of God's people when centuries had passed without an inspired word from God through a prophet. And yet, the dawn came. The sun rose. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But just before that sunrise broke the horizon, there was the light before the dawn. And that was the birth of John the Baptist. It is an extraordinary event. As Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah were enabled by the Lord to conceive a son in their advanced years. And as that blessing was increasingly known people gathered around and yes finally that baby came into the light of day and it was an extraordinary event all the neighbors were there relatives were gathered as would often happen and continues to happen down through the years they had heard how the lord had shown great mercy to her and enabling her to have this child and they were rejoicing with her and so as the baby came it was a monumental event and, of course, his name would be Zechariah. Having waited so long, surely there was no question about it. They would name this child after his father. But that was not the case because they had received instructions, not from their neighbors, but from the Lord on high. 
they would act not according to popular opinion, but according to what God had spoken through the angel Gabriel. After all, Zechariah had demonstrated that while he had heard the angel, he had not believed him at the first. But now, having been struck deaf and dumb, he had learned his lesson. There would be no question about it. This child would not be named Zechariah. He would be called John in obedience to the Lord. Yes, the arrival of John is a wonder worthy of our attention. As surely as the neighbors and relatives had gathered, we still continue to gather, at least figuratively, around this moment as we recognize that the name John means the Lord has been gracious. And those of us who know the Lord and have trusted in him have found him to be gracious. Even through our difficulties and trials and testings, he is gracious and kind to his people. We see that Luke chapter 1, the majority of it is given over to this one called John, even though it deals primarily with the incarnation, the coming into the world of the Lord Jesus Christ, where God became flesh. Yet John is so significant that most of chapter one is taken up with his arrival. Remember that the same angel who announced the birth of Jesus is the same one who announced the birth of John. That gives him significance as we see Gabriel in that role. And our text today tells us that the hand of the Lord was with John. That's important. It doesn't matter that his name was unknown in Rome or that Herod the Great had yet to hear of him. Oh, he would in due time. But as of yet, he did not know who this child was. That didn't matter. What matters is that the hand of the Lord was with him. You may be wondering. Maybe you woke up this morning. Maybe you were thinking, what important thing have I contributed to the world? After all, there are lots of famous people out there who get lots of attention and they have absolutely nothing to say. You could contribute a great deal just by speaking the truth and by talking about the things that you know about. And yet no one is giving you any attention. But know this. Having trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord is with you. And that makes you far more significant than anyone who has attained levels of fame that this world has to offer. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Ron, I'd rather have him than have riches untold. Yes, the hand of the Lord was with him. And the prophets had foretold John. They had declared that he would come. We see that in, uh, in Micah and Isaiah. And so, we know that he came to prepare the way of the Lord. That's his task that God gave him on this earth. And the Lord having come, we get to follow along after and rejoice in all that happened and that went before us. Luke 7:28 says, I tell you, among those born of women, and this is the Lord Jesus speaking, none, that is no prophet, is greater than John. Wow, what other commendation do you need? Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, the first part of that gives me cause to wonder as I think about significant prophets that preceded John, and yet Jesus called him the greatest. But the thing that absolutely blows my mind is that last phrase. The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Uh, that's, uh, if I thought about that very long, I'd have to look for a chair up here just to sit down and be silent to contemplate that such an accolade would be given. Indeed, in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And so we see this man sent from God to bear witness of the light, being so significant and a part of this story that we celebrate yet today. And what we see concerning his arrival, especially as we think of his parents obeying the voice of the Lord spoken through Gabriel, those who have seen the light walk in the light. That's right. Those of us who have been transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have seen the light of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we walk in the light. We are disciples of the Lord Jesus. We follow him. We listen to his instructions. What he says is important, and doing what he says is of primary importance to us. Not because we serve him out of fear, afraid that God's somehow going to get us if we do otherwise, but out of delight and love in our hearts because of what he has done for us in the Lord Jesus, his words matter to us. As surely as the angel had said, you shall call his name John. So Elizabeth and Zechariah were unanimous in their agreement. They didn't want to take her word for it. John had to write it on a tablet, remember, because he couldn't hear or speak. But there was no question about what the child's name would be. The instruction had come from the Lord, and that was it. And so, where God speaks, that settles it. Remember, I've said that before. Those bumper stickers used to be around some years ago. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, just take out that middle phrase. God said it. That settles it. If I fail to believe it, that's on me, and I'll face the consequences for that. But where God speaks, that's the end of the matter. And for believers, we know that, and we rejoice in it. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so having come to experience the light of the gospel of grace... Our heart's desire is to stay in the light. Now, sin continues to be a part of our lives. We know we have to confess and acknowledge that sin and guilt every day. Yet, we want to be in the light. The warmth of the light of the sun. Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Yes, God's people are to be distinct and different from the rest of the world. If we're trusting in Jesus, that means God's grace has worked a miracle in us so that there is new birth, new life. Theologians call it regeneration. Otherwise, we hear Jesus speaking to Nicodemus and we talk of it as being born again. It is an extraordinary thing to consider how that event has transformed us. And then, of course, Zechariah walking in the light filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of the Lord as he prophesied. Restored, suddenly able to speak, and it frightened all of his neighbors to death, you know. They were scared, and they remembered it. Notice how they stored up these things in their hearts and remembered it. Undoubtedly, Luke talked to at least some of them, and they recounted these events as he was researching this gospel narrative for its writing. And so, restored and spirit-filled, he blessed the Lord. For the Lord has saved. We see a revelation of God's power in verses 68 and 69 of this beautiful passage. He has visited and redeemed his people. That's where God has truly demonstrated his power. Yes, he spoke the world into existence. Spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was light. An extraordinary 
unfathomable event. But he has actually come. He has actually become one of us. Zechariah saw this happening in the redemption of God's people. He came himself to perform the rescue. Yes, he sent angels to proclaim the message. John would go before the Lord to tell of his coming. But Jesus is God himself come to perform the rescue That great miracle of miracles that is a revelation of God's power. John would be that horn. He would be that blasting forth of the good news that salvation had come. But Jesus actually would accomplish it. Not everyone saw the light before the dawn this morning. Some of you perhaps did. Most perhaps didn't. And yet, whether we saw it or not, it happened. The light began to break over the horizon until ultimately the sun itself rose. And John is that light before the dawn. And Zechariah was able to see the purpose for which his son had been brought forth into the world. God's power would be demonstrated fully in the person of Jesus. Salvation had come, even from David, a descendant of David, even though he preceded David, being God, He preceded David, becoming a human being. He comes after David. Again, I'm telling you, we talk about things that can cause us to ponder for months and years and eternity, and we shall. We also see that God's promises were fulfilled because God had promised the Messiah would come forth from the household of David, and that's precisely what happens. And we see Zechariah bearing testimony to that. The fulfillment of promises spoken by prophets ages before. Yes, prophecy. God's foretelling that Jesus would come. There are over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the person and work of Jesus, who he would be, where he would be born, even his sojourning into Egypt and his ultimate death and resurrection. All of those things foretold. It is an extraordinary thing. Considering that this one who came would be foretold in that way. He is the fulfillment of God's promises. How do we get through any given day? Because we know God is faithful. We know that he will keep his word. We know that as we have received Christ, as we have trusted in the one who gave his life on Calvary, the one who came forth from the tomb, we know that God will not go back on his word. That as many as come to him, he will receive them. Receive us. That's where I get my confidence. You know, my feelings are all over the map. Some days I, I feel it. Some days it's, it's a wonder as I think about being a child of God and knowing that he saved me. And other days, sometimes the oppression of the darkness around me can be so much. And I wonder, is it really true? I just don't feel it. It doesn't matter. I can trust God's word. That's objective truth. I may not feel like this pulpit is hard right now, but if I rap on it with my knuckles, I sure find it to be. I may not feel that God's word is true on any given day, but I can bank my eternal soul on its veracity because God has never gone back on his word and he's not going to make an exception with you. He keeps his promises. He enlightens his people. Yes, he enlightens his people. The light of the glory of Christ has shone on us. Now, that doesn't mean that the light has shined on everyone so that they know the Lord Jesus. And so we're 
talked to every day from people on our television sets and on computer or people that we read or neighbors that we engage in the street. And they, they wonder why we do the things we do, why we live the way that we live. While we come to a worship service like this one, there are lots of people out there who think this is an absolute waste of time. And they'll tell you so. And they're getting more and more vocal about their criticism of us. Why do we do it? Because we've seen the light. Because we see that Jesus really is who he is. And we understand that he is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And so we sing to him and we worship him and we pray to him. And we worship because the light as shown on us. You know, uh, 119 years ago yesterday, was anybody around for it? Two brothers went to a beach and flew an airplane for exactly 12 seconds. Now, that so inspired the world that soon after that, somebody went to the beach and built a roller coaster and charged people to ride it for 12 seconds. I'm just kidding. But, you know, December the 17th, 1903 came and went for most of the country, and most people were completely unaware of what happened that day. In fact, though it was reported in the newspapers, very little significance was attached to the event of that flight. Now, looking back on it, we think of it as this momentous event, but it wasn't until several years later when the Wrights had been invited over to Europe to fly that plane in exhibitions that people began to attach significance to it and and even military people began to scratch their heads and say, you know, there might be something to this. On any given day, 100,000 planes will take off from airports and carry somewhere around 6 million individuals. I assume that's true. Google said it, so I'm reporting it to you as a fact. What I do know, based on my own observation, is that a lot of planes take off every day with a lot of people in them. And we look back and we think about how relatively unimportant December the 17th, 1903 seemed to be. All I'm saying to you is this. Just because it seems like most people don't get it, just because it seems like most people looking back in history and wonder whether or not there really was a Jesus and if he really came and if he really is God in the flesh, just because they question it, doubt it, or disbelieve it does not reduce its significance whatsoever. He remains the greatest the world will ever know. And we celebrate him because through him, God establishes peace. We have peace with God. We have peace that we experience. Yes, the nation's war. People have conflict. Neighbors are at each other's throats. Even family members are in deep and profound conflict. But the child of God knows a peace which passes understanding, a peace that is felt and known in our hearts. Yes, felt. And even when we don't feel it, we can know it's there. What an extraordinary statement to guide our feet into the way of peace. It can't be achieved any other way. All of the billions of dollars that have been expended in the United Nations in an attempt to accomplish world peace is money that continues to go down the drain because war continues to happen day in and day out as people even now are dying in armed conflicts around the world. And yet this one man whose birth was foretold by John the Baptist 
has caused more people to stack arms and proclaim peace than all the armies that have ever marched, as one unknown writer has so eloquently put it. Yes, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. As surely as the sun is shining and its effect can be seen on that beautiful water behind me, I'm telling you that the light of the world shines and its effect is known throughout the whole wide earth. And it was Christmas, 1991, when my mother called to tell me that my grandfather would not live much longer. I was in Jackson, Mississippi, which seemed like a whole world away from Haywood County. I finished up my exams and made my way back to North Carolina. It had snowed, and I had to avoid Atlanta. I ended up going through Chattanooga, and I went through the gorges, as we say, out Highway 74, and I made it through the Ocoee Gorge okay. But the Nantahala Gorge was icy and snowy. Blocks of ice had fallen off of mud flaps of trucks, and I had to go through that gorge like I was in an obstacle course in my front-wheel drive Honda Accord. It had snowed so much when I did get to the bottom of our driveway, I couldn't get up it. I had to get out and carry my luggage, walked up the seven-tenths of a mile up that hill, and I got sick. I had a solo in the Christmas cantata that year, and I had to sing it an octave lower than it was written. The voice just wasn't there. And having done that on... Again, on Christmas Eve at the service, I made my way over to Asheville to the hospice center where my grandfather was, as I had been staying with him since I got in. I spent the night with him each night. And I had been praying so fervently, asking the Lord to save him from that cancer, that he could rise up from that bed and come home with me. And on Christmas Eve night, in the middle of the darkness, Papa spoke out as he had not for a few days, in prayer. And his prayer was simply this, Lord, take me home. Take me home, Lord. And I knew he didn't mean Plot Creek. And I remember having to pray a prayer of surrender at that moment. And I said, Lord, I want Papa back home with me. but I know home with you is where he wants to be. And so I drove home in the early morning hours. And I can still remember being on I-40 West as the light began to dawn. As I had crossed over into Haywood County across what we call Buzzard's Roost. And if you ain't from there, you don't know what I'm talking about, I know. But off in the far distance, as the light began to dawn, because I knew exactly where to look for it, atop Mount Lynn Lowry, a 6,400-foot peak on which General Sumter Lowry in 1963 had erected a 60-foot-tall steel cross in memory of his 16-year-old daughter who had succumbed to leukemia. I knew where to look. And as the light began to break over the eastern horizon there to that western sky, I saw standing on that mountain a cross. And I remember the comfort and peace that it brought me. Even though tears were streaming down my face, I thought I was going to have to pull over. And by the dawn's early light, I was reminded 
that a Savior came and he put death to death. And my grandfather and I are only separated for a time because I have every confidence that one day in fulfillment of Jesus' own word, we will be together before that glorious throne of grace rejoicing in the Savior who came, demonstrating God's power to save sinners, not only from our transgressions and their guilt, but from death itself. I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to tell the world. That's why they sell, why we celebrate. And if they think us fools, I really don't care. Because we have a Redeemer. So we will sing and worship and rejoice, practicing now for the reality of heaven. And may God bless you, everyone, as you think about the light of the world who has come. And the darkness will never put him out. Bless his name. Father in heaven, Lord, we praise you for our great Savior, knowing that he, is a, he has come and accomplished his every task. John said he would. All of the prophets proclaimed it. And everyone who has known and loved him since has continued to speak of your faithfulness, your glorious and divine power that even now is bringing light into this world of darkness. Oh, Lord, please bless that we may know the Savior, that we may believe in him and trust in him and long for his next appearing. Until then, or until you call us there to be with him, grant us grace that we may serve you and you only. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Emmanuel, he's still with us. Let's stand and sing. Let's sing this song twice through.
I really don't mean to make you cry, and I don't mean to make me cry. And I apologize. It's just at this stage of life, I've found that I've said goodbye to so many folks. I just want whatever time I have left to be an opportunity to tell everyone about the remedy. That's all. So please overlook me. My prayer is that you would see no man except Jesus and him only. That's all I ask. So until we see him, may his grace, mercy, and peace be with and abide with you all. Now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.